kind of doing a little bit of a change with our studies on Sunday nights and uh, Wednesday nights due to our change in church schedule with children's ministries uh, here in the fall. So uh, Pastor John is down with Kids for Truth, and uh, he will be up here, Lord willing, from time to time to finish his uh, series on First Thessalonians. So we're looking forward to that as he has uh, ability and uh, opportunity, and as other uh, teachers are able to fill in and participate in that way, I just encourage you to pray about that. It's a blessing uh, when um, John is able to preach and others are able to teach, and it, it helps in a number of different ways uh, as, as others are able to serve in that way. So I just want to encourage you uh, to pray about that. And then uh, with regard to our study on Psalm 119, we began uh, Wednesday nights uh, this summer looking at Psalm 119. One of my thoughts in doing it is if we waited to get to Psalm 119 in our study of the Psalms, I feel like the, the Psalm study would be extended for a couple of years, uh, honestly. And I also, just in reading through personally and studying through Psalm 119, came to um, just realize how practical and helpful it is for the daily Christian life and how filled it is with godly prayer. So I hope this will encourage us in our, uh, in our walk with the Lord as we go through uh, Psalm 119. Uh, if you have been uh, with us for that study, we began uh, looking at uh, the terminology in the psalm for the Word of God. And uh, I'm not going to necessarily review all of that, but I would say if you read through Psalm 119, you do see references to God's Word in its uh, varied expressions. So if you just take, for example, verse 1 from Psalm 119, what do you see as a description of God's Word? It is the law of the Lord. And then in verse 2, it is his testimonies. And then as God's word is worked out in someone's life, it is his ways, verse 3. And then in verse 4, his precepts. In verse 5, his statutes. In verse 6, his commandments. In verse 7, his judgments. And then again, back in verse 8 is your statutes. Uh, there are more than that, but even the first stanza kind of lays out the different possibilities for the way in which God's word is referred to. And as you go through the psalm, sometimes it's just the saying of God that refers to a promise of God, a statement that he has made, uh, his ordinances or his utterances, these truths that are coming from God to us. And this is the blessed way. The first verse says, how blessed is how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So it's a blessed way. It's a blameless way. And as David portrays it here, it's really the way of life that's to be pursued with all your heart. Now, if you come to understand what God's word is and what his way is, and you start to pursue it, you realize your inability and you long for, if you know God, you long for obedience. And you can see some of that 
as uh, the psalmist, as David here progresses, as he talks about his own life and his longing to obey Lord, the Lord. Uh, most recently, we were in the, the stanza in verse 25 that begins with, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. There's a, a recognition that he does not conform in his life to God's word, but he longs to, and when he finds failure, he confesses his sin. I think that's what he's saying in verse 26. I've told you of my way, or I've told of my ways, and you have answered me. So he's actually speaking to God about his ways. And then he's asking for understanding, verse 27, but as he obtains understanding, he recognizes, verse 28, that he fails. So when he says, my soul weeps because of grief, this is weeping because of his failure to obey God's word. And he wants to obey God. And he's chosen that way, verse 30. And he clings to God's testimonies. And he has the confidence in verse 32 that he's going to run in the way of God's commandments as God gives him grace to do so. Okay, so as you think about David's life and his pursuit of, and really the focus in the next section we're going to look at is a pursuit of godliness. What does a person look like when they're pursuing godliness? And I would ask you tonight, before we even get into these verses, with the time that we have, are you pursuing godliness in your life? Are you pursuing obedience to the Lord? And even, as David speaks about it, wholehearted obedience to God's commandments. Um, that's what God deserves. That's really what God expects. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does love to God look like? If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey me. So when you think about obedience and wholehearted service to the Lord, this is godliness, and it's not native to any one of us. There's not one of us who is godly because we were born into this world. It's the very opposite. Uh, we are sinful, we're sinful to the core, uh, all of us are unrighteous, we're in need of God's grace. When his grace comes into our life and he makes us new creatures in Christ, he then implants his life, the Holy Spirit who lives within us and changes us so that we do desire godliness, but it's not that it's just a change like that. We have to pursue it. And in that pursuit, we need God's word. And in that pursuit, we need prayer. I was uh, reflecting upon verses 33 through verse 40, just thinking through what David is doing in this section. I'm just going to read to you some of my thoughts as i trying to just get give you a sense of where David is at. See if you're your life parallels this. If you're a believer, he recognizes that God's word is good. He says that in verse 39, your ordinances are good. He has a true delight in God's law. He says that in verse 35, 
Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. He longs to keep God's word with all of his heart. That's verse 34. But he is aware that he needs that knowledge, and not just the knowledge, but the understanding to keep it. He finds that he is, do you find this for yourself, ignorant, lacking light, lacking full understanding? David is aware of that. He also recognizes his own tendency to falter and fail. Do you know that about yourself? My tendency to fail, to not measure up, to do what God has said. He's aware of his tendency to be inclined toward, not just falter and fail, but actually be inclined towards evil. So here he knows God's word is good. He wants to do it with all his heart, but he also knows that his heart is inclined towards evil. And so he's making his petitions to God in light of that tendency in his life. For instance, he says, in verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. That's David's heart. He's saying, incline my heart, heart, bend my heart in the right way, because that's not the way my heart has been. I need your bending. I need your shaping my heart. He is fearful of failing and bringing shame to God and God's word. Is that something you fear? That's a right attitude. I think you see that in verse 20, or excuse me, verse 39. He says, turn away my reproach, which I dread. I dread. That's a serious word for fear. So he's afraid of the reproach that would bring shame to himself, but also God's word. The rest of that verse, he says, for your ordinances are good. He doesn't want his life to reflect on God's way or God's name. Instead, he wants to fear God so that he obeys so that God will receive glory and his word will be trusted. He's also aware that God in his righteousness can help him and sanctify him. He desires that the word of God would produce this godliness in his life. Okay, so all that, and I'm saying David knows these things, he's aware of these things, so what does he do? Well, look at the context of 33 through 40. He's praying. His desire for godliness is demonstrated by his prayer life. And there, really at the front of this passage, is a question for us. Are we praying for godliness? Are you longing for it, and are you praying for it in your life? Do your prayers simply intercede for others and pray for material things and obvious outward physical needs? 
or do, do they get down to that level where you're asking for God to sanctify, cleanse, change you, and do things in your life that only he can do? David here is praying. In fact, he's praying throughout the psalm. This is why this is so practical for us, because you could take one verse a day. I believe that was Philip Henry's encouragement. Take a verse a day, pray through the psalm twice a year. Pray for godliness in your life. Pursue it in your life. And you don't have to do it in huge chunks in this psalm. You could take one a day and pursue holiness through prayer, but also through God's word as you meditate on God's word. So I just want to look at the first one briefly, and we'll have to continue on for sake of time here. Look at verse 33 as he pursues godliness in his prayer. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. You know, David, having been graced by God with salvation, is able to make this prayer. But this is not the prayer of the ungodly. This is not the prayer of someone who is wicked. In fact, the wicked, according to Job 21, say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Their response to God and the truth of God is rejection, rebellion. I don't want that. They're certainly not asking for it. They're actually saying, I don't want it. And in between that rejection and that hatred for God that's expressed and David's prayer here is a life that's just not doing anything. And I think that's a challenge to us. Have you gotten to the place in your life where you're asking God to teach you? To teach you his word? To give you light and understanding so that you can obey? The wicked sound a lot like Pharaoh when they say, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? And so this ungodly response to God is contrasted with David's heart here, which is a godly response. And I'd ask, which one are you? And if you find yourself in the middle, but you find yourself a child of God, I want to encourage you to put that on, to put on that prayer, to pursue godliness through asking God to teach you. It's also very practical. Notice what he says. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. He doesn't want just intellectual knowledge. He doesn't want apprehension in his mind. He doesn't want just to have those thoughts. He wants to do what God has said. Not only does he want to know the way of God's word and understand, he wants to practice. Charles Bridges, who wrote a commentary on Psalm 119, says, we want not this knowledge for its own sake to feed pride or speculation, but for its practical influence. For of what avail is the discovery even of important truth if we be not molded into its likeness and constrained into the obedience of the faith. 
Okay, so think about the difference between somebody who has a map and is very familiar with the map, knows all about the map, knows all the features of the map, but has never walked the trail themselves. Right? They've never actually experienced the route. They've never felt their foot on the path. David wants to see the scenery. He wants to smell the air. He wants to go on and pursue this path in life. And he wants to go all the way to the end of the trail. Look at what he says. I shall observe it to the end. This is really the end of this life as he is received at death into the presence of the Lord. We're on that path. We could say in the Christian life, we're on that path until the Lord takes us home to himself. But his prayer here is very practical. Jonathan Edwards had a sermon called Directions for the Acquisition of Christian Knowledge. It sounds like a Puritan sermon. He gave some advice and counsel of pursuing knowledge. So the prayer, teach me. David's the learner. He wants to know the way and he wants to practice. But Edwards was talking about acquiring Christian knowledge. Where is David going to obtain this knowledge? And where did Edward say to find it? He said, be assiduous in reading the Holy Scriptures. Be constantly in the Bible, is the point. This is the fountain whence all knowledge in divinity or theology must be derived. He says, therefore, let not this treasure lie by you neglected. This isn't like any other book. Don't neglect this one. Then he says, content not yourselves with a cursory reading without regarding the sense. This is an ill way of reading to which, however, many accustom themselves all their days. When you read, observe what you read, observe how things come in, take notice of the drift of the discourse and compare one scripture with another. For, by the, for the scripture, by the harmony of its different parts, casts great light upon it uh, uh, itself. So what is his point? His point is read for understanding. Don't just read over it. And there are times, of course, we read the Bible, and that's what we do. We just read over it. And what good is reading a chapter if you don't understand it versus one verse that you do come to understand? And then if you understand, then practice. Edwards also said, procure and diligently use other books which may help you to grow in this knowledge. Improve, number four, conversation with others to this end. Then he says this, and this is along the lines of what David is praying here. He says, seek not to grow in knowledge chiefly for the sake of applause and to enable you to dispute with others, but seek it for the benefit of your souls and in order to practice. In order to practice, seek the knowledge so that you can obey. Teach me, O Lord, and I shall observe it to the end. Edward said, seek to God that he would direct you. So make it not just a matter of intellectual pursuit, but actual prayer. He says that he would direct you and bless you in pursuit after this knowledge. And then he says, practice according to what knowledge you have. This will be the way to know more. And so this is a very practical prayer. It's a godly prayer. It's a resolute prayer. Resolute how? He wants to persevere, end of the verse, all the way to the end. There's not 
one of the writers was talking about setting a date on the calendar and basically saying, at that point, I'm done. Okay, we do that for certain pursuits of certain kinds of knowledge, and then we, you know, get some kind of an achievement, a diploma or something like that. But this is a knowledge that we're pursuing really till the end of our days, a knowledge of God, knowledge of his word. Spurgeon said the end of keeping the law will come only when we stop breathing. And just think about that. Think about what that pursuit would mean. If he says, I shall observe it to the end, the end of his life. Between the beginning of that pursuit at salvation and the end of that pursuit at death, there's a whole lot of our life's history. A lot of people. There's a lot of challenges in there. There's a lot of trials in there. There's a lot of temptation in there. And God's word helps us all along the way. So what he's asking for is a knowledge of the way of God's statutes so that he could observe it to the end, and it is going to help him through life. And he's resolved. And what will happen if you come to the end of your life, and that's what you have pursued, and though not perfect, no one is, and though often failing, which we often do, you find yourself at last victorious with Christ, having finished your course, run the race, you fought the good fight, and you're with the Lord. Jesus himself said in Revelation 2, he who overcomes and keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have received authority from my father. He's referring to a messianic promise. We will, scripture says, we will reign with him. And then he says, I will give him the morning star. Whatever that means. I think in the very least, it's sharing the glory of God. That's the end of this path. That's the end of this way. Someone who abdicates and doesn't pursue that. Someone who wanders off and turns away from their profession are they going to share? Well, only God knows if they truly belong to him, but it's really those who are, by God's grace, persevering to the end that get to share in that glory. Don't forget that the road that you and I are on, if you're a child of God, is a road that leads to a heavenly city where God himself dwells with the myriads of angels, the saints triumphant, the streets of gold. That's where we're headed. Teach me, Lord, the way of your statutes that I may keep it to the end. 
May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the promises, the precious promises that you've given to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have requested that we be with you where you are. You've asked that of the Father. And we pray, Lord, that we would pursue that path that you've placed us on, that we would not be ambivalent, that we would not pursue certainly worldly ends. Help us, Lord, even this week to say to you in our prayers, teach me the path, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name.